Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This might be episode 735, depending on what order I release these in, but I am recording on June 10th, 2020. I'll get that yet, 2022. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Seamus Lavery, who is a Nocilla castaway of the First Order, being a frequent attendee of the live show under the handle of Batfink2001. Now, hopefully we'll find out at some point what that handle means, but I'm really most interested in Seamus's puppy named Quade, and you will understand in a moment why that's interesting. Welcome to the show, Seamus. Hi, Alison. Thanks very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I've been listening to you for many years on many different shows, so it's really nice to, to get a chance to chat to you today. Yeah, well, so this uh, we've been having a lot of fun in the live chat room because he's been posting pictures of Quaid. And it's not just because Quaid is an adorable puppy, but we will get into that in a moment. I've got to comment on your accent. Where are you from? Uh, I am from County Antrim in the north of Ireland. So unlike your normal correspondent, Bart, from the, the south of Ireland, uh, I'm uh, from just outside Belfast. So not the city itself, but just outside in the countryside. So that's Oh, right, right, right. Now, but you live in the United States now, is that correct? I do. I live in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this is a lot yeah. of fun. You know, I love me a good accent. So this, uh, this is fun talking to you. Plus, the subject is really fun. Now, this isn't a tech topic, but I called it Chit Chat Across the Pond because I can talk to people about whatever I want. So uh, we're going to go down a different road, but I think a road a lot of people are, are going to be very interested in. Explain to people w- what Quaid is. Who Quaid is. Quaid- Quaid is. <laughs> uh, that's a very f- interesting question. Quaid is a part of a program, a, a service guide program run by an organization called Guiding Eyes for the Blind. So he's basically, we are puppy raisers, my wife and I, and we're raising him to become a, a guide dog and help a, a visually impaired person uh, later on if he uh, passes all of the obedience tests and all of the the, the criteria and so on. So that's, that's what he is. So this subject became near and dear to my heart when I was a little kid and I read a book called Follow My Leader. And I've spoken about it on the show a few times, but it's a story of a little boy who gets blinded by a firecracker and he goes through a bunch of denial and then he eventually goes to a, a Braille school and he learns Braille. And that's how I taught myself the Braille alphabet when I was a little girl. I took a piece of cardboard and a punch and I made a Braille card so I could learn to, to read the letters with my fingers. Uh, but in the story, he ends up getting a, a, a guide dog and uh, he names it Sirius after the dog star. And so I've always been fascinated in the process of, of where these dogs come from and how they get raised. So when I found out that's what uh, Quaid was here for, I, I, had to, I had to get you on the show to find out more about it. So I'm used to calling them sea guide dogs, but you, didn't, you don't use that phrase. No, the the normal uh, term now is service dog. Uh, I was of the opinion or understanding that in Ireland and the UK, we call them guide dogs and Americans call them CNI dogs. That was just my understanding. But it since turns out that there are a number of different organizations in the US who uh, raise uh, puppies for these uh, to become these service dogs. And a CNI dog is actually a trademark of one such organization in, in New Jersey. So it's actually uh, uh, their trademark. But it's a okay, sort of so it's more bit, like, bit like Kleenex, Kleenex for tissue. Okay, exactly so, or Velcro. Yep. Yeah. So um, now a service dog is a more overarching term. Uh, I watch a woman on on uh, TikTok who has a service dog who can tell when her blood sugar drops. Yeah. And and you know and there's just like assistant dogs and comfort <laughs> dogs. There's a lot under the service dog uh, umbrella. Correct. Yeah. There is indeed, and uh, they have uh, even outside dogs and cats. People are trying to, you know, there's some interesting dogs or interesting animals. They're trying to get onto airplanes to say that they're my uh, support animal. <laughs> you know, llamas, I believe, is the most ridiculous one that I saw. But uh, okay. yes, uh, guide dog is 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 a, is a term and and service dog just 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 in general. But uh, okay, uh, let's stick yeah. with guide dog then. I think that's as generic as we can get. So, I, how did you get involved with this program? How did you find out about about becoming a puppy raiser? Well, it was actually a neighbor of ours. We live in Washington, D.C., and we moved from a condo to a larger house, which had a much bigger yard. And my wife had always talked about getting a dog, but we weren't really in a position to uh, uh, to have one in, a, in our old house. So whenever we moved in, uh, and one of our new neighbors, we were talking about just getting a dog in general, and uh, she uh, asked us had we considered uh, she was part of this program and had, had been a puppy raiser for guiding eyes for for some years would we consider uh 
you know, taking a, a puppy on and being part of that program. So I had always, whenever I was younger, I remember seeing outside stores used to have these uh, collection boxes in the shape of a, of a dog, a Labrador, where you could put money in, you know, to, to collecting for the guide dogs or oh, for guide yeah. dogs for the blind. But I'd never really given it much more thought as to actually the process and what actually happens behind the scenes to, to make these amazing animals, you know, get trained up and, and so on. So uh, we talked about it and thought, well, this this could be interesting, could chance to, to, to give something back to society. It's an amazing cause. It's really life-changing for what you can do. And also, our jobs, certainly pre-pandemic, are uh, were uh, involved quite a lot of travel and so on. So having a dog is, is challenging from that point of view. And part of the program is that they, they have both raisers and sitters, and the sitters support the raisers and actually will allow them to take vacations and, and travel with work, and then they are part of the program. So there is a support structure. So from that point of view, it's quite positive. From from from, uh, uh, it's started oh, to suit our lifestyle. Yeah. So if you do end up traveling a lot and you have a dog, uh, you're not foisting them on strangers or throwing them in kennels or something like that. No, not at all. And in fact, it's, you can't really do that because the sitters are also trained as part of the program in what's allowed and what's not allowed because these are not. Uh, pets in in the, the sort of normal sense of the of, of the word, they are actually have to follow certain uh, rules and certainly uh, certain obedience commands and so on. And the sitters are aware of that as well. So that's why it's good from that point of view. Uh, rather than okay. put them into doggy hotels or <laughs> to, to get pampered, um, yeah. So that's so we decided then we went uh, along and uh, and and joined into the program from from that point of view. So I do have a lot of questions about the entire process, but starting at the beginning, how long will you have Quaid? We get, uh, so the razors get the puppies at about nine weeks. So we got him at nine weeks and when he was a lot smaller than he is now. And uh, uh, we will have him until about 18 months. The, the COVID has meant that there's a slight delay in, in the whole process. So people are hanging on to their dogs a little bit longer, but mainly it's between nine weeks and then up to 18 months. After that, they, and we do a certain level of basic obedience. And every week we go to uh, classes. There's a regional manager who... Uh, so basically, the organization is headquartered in upstate New York, in Patterson, New York. And there they have a facility, a breeding facility. They also have veterinary uh, hospital. And they have the final trainers, the, the professional trainers who do uh, like the road work and all of those advanced uh, lessons later on. So uh, whenever we're... Uh, on a sort of regular weekly basis, we go to these uh, meetups or, or puppy classes and the dogs are evaluated to see how they're following with the process because you have to hit certain uh, levels, you know, as you go along to make sure that they're they're following the process. Uh, so part of that is to, to see if the dog is learning what needs to have learned by a certain time and also to help you understand, okay, well, you haven't really got this piece working yet. Here's what you need to do. Exactly. And uh, the... the, the it's also it gives you a chance to talk to some of the other uh, people. In, so he's got his own class, you know, they're, they're following on the CMEH group. And then you oh. get to see what challenges they have. And uh, some of the, um, just basically progress up to in the age. And as he gets bigger, they'll all progress up. And then they'll be taught how to maybe get into a harness. Whereas before, at the very small age, they're just learning, you know, sit roll over, you know, the, the sort of basic commands uh, go into the kennel and so on. Uh, and uh, from that point of view, it's it's good to have the support. You don't feel as if you're sort of isolated from uh, from in the yeah. process from that point of view. So they and yes, it is also important. It is harness. Uh, yes, they do that more when they get up to the end for training as determined, which is the advanced. But they will okay. do some elementary because what these dogs are amazing. Whenever they're off duty, if you like, they're very much like family pets. They're a bit more mm -hmm. docile, if you like, or just calmer than normal. But once they put the harness on, they're in work mode. And they are very much, this is what they, they are tasked to do. And uh, it's important if you see a blind person with a dog, not to approach, you know, not to treat them, you know, as if it's someone's pet. It's, it's, they'll probably ignore you, actually. They're trained to do that. <laughs> uh, and as soon as they take the harness off, then they're back into that sort of off-duty mode. Uh, so it's quite, so quite is, is Seamus ever considered working when you've got him or no? 
Quaid. My wife would say, "Sorry, Quaid, you're consider- shameless." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is she, are, is she done training you yet? <laughs> My favorite comedian, Bill Burr, always talks about he is always a work in progress, and his wife is the finished article. Whenever they have these discussions, um, no, Quaid is not. He doesn't go in and out of work mode at the minute. At this stage, he's very much in the. Uh, he's still a puppy in many respects. He's he's about a year old, 11 months old now. So he's like a big teenager in dog terms. So still has some of the uh, obedience to, to, uh, to get worked on before he is evaluated finally. And then he goes up to the, to the final training where they will do a lot more of that harness work and working with traffic lights and crossing site, you know, crosswalks and all of that sort of, uh, that's where the professional trainers take over. Okay. Okay. So, um, what kind of training did you have to have? I mean, they didn't just fling a puppy at you and say, okay, see you in three months and we'll see how well you're doing, right? Uh, felt like that a little bit at the start. Basically, we sat in on what they call pre-puppy classes. So you basically sit in along with other prospective raisers and sitters, um, uh, the newbies who really have no idea what, what goes on. And you have a few weeks of just sitting in and observing what goes on in the classes and so on. And then the regional manager will take you through a series of, uh, you know, training videos and, and, and the process of, of what is expected of you and what the, is uh, the different uh, stages that they need the puppy to reach by a certain age and so on. Um, and then there's a typically a, a house visit to make sure that your environment is, is suitable. And then after that, um, Whenever the next breeding cycle comes around and the puppies sort of arrive, you're if you, if you're acceptable to the to the program, you end up uh, receiving this nine week old bundle of uh, craziness. You know, it's quite <laughs> funny because <laughs> uh, the guiding ice program is uh, pretty much uh, it's in headquartered in New York, but it covers most of the East Coast. So it goes down to the Carolinas and across to Ohio, and I'm in DC. Okay. So uh, there's a, a series of um, most weekends, there are uh, volunteers uh, who will take new puppies coming down from the breeding kennels and any puppy that has to go up for their final training. Or if there's like a me- medicine, a medicinal issue, some sort of reason that the dog has to go up to the, to the vets. There's are these uh, puppies are going up and down the uh, I-95 Eastern typically Seaboard. most weekends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's quite funny. The, the puppies... We, whenever we got Quaid, he came down with about eight, seven or eight puppies at the same time. Mm. And all the razors, we met in a, a parking lot outside an Ikea, just outside DC in College Park. <laughs> so if anyone saw this, it must have looked very strange to suddenly uh, a, a, a van pulled up and then all these excited people were in the parking and lot. And these dog these, puppies start <laughs> spilling out. <laughs> exactly. And he also had to have a trip back up again because he, uh, he broke a tooth. Because basically mm. he vacuums, especially when he's smaller, he will eat absolutely everything that's on now, the He's ground. a lab, right? He's a Labrador, so okay. yes. Uh, the, the program is 90% Labradors and about 10% German Shepherds. Those are the two breeds that they, that they huh. use. And, do, do, you know, uh, do you know why it's just those two breeds? They're very, very intelligent and they're very, very open to training through food. They're very food-oriented. Oh. And that's... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, so the... the also, the, 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 the breed, the, some of the traits that the, 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 the guiding eyes breeding program, uh, the, the pups come out. Uh, one of the things I noticed about Quaid is he is fearless when it comes to loud noises. He doesn't mind lightning. Mm. He doesn't mind fireworks okay. even. Uh, you know, we ha- took him for a walk today in our neighborhood. There was a, 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 a chipper, you know, some one of our neighbors was getting the, yeah. So this is crazy noisy, and he just didn't fizz on him at all. And yet a lot of dogs, for loud noises, uh, they the real pro- real issue with that. He doesn't. And the vacuum cleaner, he'd almost jump on it, and uh, you know, and, and, and whereas <laughs> other dogs... Exactly. Uh, whereas some of our friends, the, the vacuum cleaner, the dogs are, are terrified of it. And, and certainly, yeah. certainly, you know, at uh, um, Thunder and Lightning and Fireworks, famously pets are terrified. Not, not, not a bit of it, you know. So we had, so we had this thing where he he broke a tooth and he had to go back up to the vets. So uh, I had to take him back up to be collected at the same parking lot outside the IKEA. This seems to be this far. <laughs> and another, another sending a, them away. I, I know they're sending them away. <coughs> and also there was there was another uh, dog who was going up for his final training. So an older dog, uh, and we waited, and a, 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 the volunteer arrived uh, in uh, Winnebago. 
so he traveled in style in this massive RV going up to the to 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 the facility. Uh, that was on a Saturday. Uh, on the Monday, he was supposed to have the operation to remove the tooth, and they were getting him ready for it, prepping him for the for the operation, and the tooth just fell out by itself. So it was an, it was an unnecessary unnecessary trip, but. Uh, and then I had to go up and get him because they didn't have someone coming down again. So we had this long round road trip. And he was delighted because he just likes the attention and he likes long car rides. But uh, it was it was fun from that point of view. Yeah. Sorry, I used my cough button there and <laughs> I, I was talking away. Um, so there weren't any volunteers available right then, but a lot of times there are. Yeah, very much so. And also, he was coming back midweek, and it's the volunteers. It suits a lot of people who are retired, you know, senior citizens, so on. There's a lot of people, in, in, in you know, who would take on. If they can't commit to raising a dog or becoming a sitter, they help in some of these sort of support services as well, things like that. So oh, uh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. So there's, uh, and in fact, as also the more recent pups have been really traveling like VIPs because Guiding Ice has partnered with a charity called Pilots to the Rescue where they actually fly them in on Cessnas. Uh, so they're oh small, small airport coming in from further afield. So uh, a couple of the more recent arrivals in our region landed at a small regional airport uh, and, and they, they're traveled in style. And these guys have an Instagram account. We can probably put the link on where you can actually see them arriving. And it's hilarious. These puppies just arriving out of this uh, little plane. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, wonder, yeah. I guess that would show calmness of a dog that they were okay flying in a plane, right? Because that can be a, a Cessna is pretty loud inside. Indeed, uh, it's um, the, the the charity that the Palace of the Rescue are not are not just for guide dogs. They also rest. They go to different shelters and they rescue dogs who are maybe in a you know in a kill shelter and take them somewhere else. So it's a it's a, it's a great program from that point of view. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah. So they they fly all over uh, and uh, and bring these uh, little dogs on uh, on these crazy. Crazy uh, flights. It's it's fun to watch some of the videos. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does sound fun. Okay, so uh, they uh, sent you to puppy training for you, yeah. and and they um, checked your house out ahead of time to make sure that it wasn't I don't know squalor or something. They had four hundred <laughs> dogs already there or something like that. Then do they audit you over the course of the eighteen uh, or eighteen months? They come to your show up at your house. Uh, not so much at the house. Uh, if there's an issue and maybe the dog is maybe not progressing as quickly as they'd like, they maybe come and talk to you about that. More regularly, of course, they're looking at uh, on a, a weekly basis, they're seeing the progress at the class. And then as they get older, that goes to twice a month. It only goes once every two weeks. They also have um, uh, what they call walk and talks, which on, are. Hang on. hang on. You said once. Every, what do you do once every two weeks? The training the classes? classes? The classes move from weekly to. Every two weeks. Wait, Later you're on driving to your New York every week no, at first? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. No, I should have explained that. the There are different regions. So all of the different regions have training in localized to them. Oh, so our okay. training, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, our, our training is in, in D.C. No, no, you couldn't. That, that would be... Uh, that would be a bit too much to ask, I think. Uh, yeah. No, okay. They, they, like our region is Montgomery County, which is Maryland, which covers the area of part of DC that we're in. And then there's also uh, Baltimore and then Northern Virginia and, and just all the way up. So there's split into regions and those regions have localized training facilities. So they use okay. church hall. Church halls are scouting halls and things of that nature. From, from that okay. So, so then, anyway, now back to what you were saying. <laughs> I then get every, over every the, the driving. Yeah. Uh, he would love it, by the way. He would go up and down every every, <laughs> every week without a problem. Um, so we basically, uh, every three months or so, they have what they call walk and talks, which are like uh, larger evaluation sessions where you go to like a mall or you go to some, some, some outdoor uh, facility and then they'll see how they handle things like uh, uh, elevators or walking over grids or, you know, on sidewalks and things of that sort of nature. So they're evaluated there to make sure that they, they can handle that sort of things. And they're so sort of what fun. Are they, what, what are they supposed to do in an elevator that would, what would be doing it right versus doing it wrong? Well, basically just the fact that you're confined and if they got a bit hyper or they were a bit too hectic, they just have to be able to handle the slightly confined space. So it's uh, not their ability to step in and out or freak, but it's, are they going to freak out being in this small square box? It's, it, 
It's a little bit of everything. The real tricky ones are escalators rather than elevators. Because, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah Me yeah. too. <laughs> I'm always thinking I'm going to mess that up. And also things like if you're on, in, like if you're in a mall, if you've got these, you know, uh, on the on the, the first, the second floor, I would call it, but you guys call it the first floor, you know, when you go up where they have the purse packs or they have like, you know, areas where they look over. Some dogs freak out at that. So they're really looking at, at uh, in everyday situations, how they handle it. Uh, and, and that's what the walk and talks are for outside the normal classroom okay. environment. Uh, we also have some fun field trips as well. We go on nature, uh, you know, h- hikes and things like that. And then recently, uh, the dogs in our region, to, they went to, uh, we're in DC, so they went to Nationals Park to see a Major League Baseball stadium crowd oh. to see how they handle that. Though I was oh, joking. Th- so uh, giant crowds and a lot of noise and, and uncomfortable, weird little areas to lay down also a lot of hot dog stands which they're not supposed to get too excited about oh my gosh and and you've got dogs that are food motivated that is just a a little bit the joke i had was the way the nats are playing this season though the crowds are probably a lot smaller than they were a couple of years ago when they won the world series so maybe it's not as big a challenge as it used to be but yeah things things like that where you're trying to give them uh, also we i take them to like home depot or into target and stuff into the into the stores and and things like that and he loves putting his little blue jacket on and going into these environments what's his little blue jacket well, a service dog. When you go into a lot of these environments, uh, you you're supposed to uh, to have to some notification. That it's, a, it's a guide, yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah. I I didn't know he got one of those. He even though he's a uh, service dog in training, he still gets to wear the blue vest. Yes. Yes. Does it say so like we, like like student student driver like, <laughs> student, student no, service dog? Uh, it just says the name of the program on it, so you're you've a slightly official sort of uh, reason to have the dog in because uh, okay. obviously with, with some places you know pets aren't allowed, but service dogs are. So uh, yeah. So do you do you that, take yeah. him to restaurants? We have taken him to restaurants, but he's still a little bit small. And also one of the things that he has real challenges with still is you know behavior around food. So it's it's a little bit challenging. Yeah. So so we've been able to take him sometimes, and of course we've been eating outdoors. Since we've had him, we haven't had to go right. inside to the restaurants and things like that. Yeah. Right, right. So what about uh, flying on planes? Uh, other than Cessna's, like being on a commercial <laughs> uh, plane, would that be something you would be teaching him how to just lay at your feet for hours? It, it, or not? Well, basically the razors um, are, if it came up that you had to fly, I think they would probably recommend that for these smaller puppies, you know, that that wouldn't be something you put them through a little bit too okay. much stress to start with. And realistically, we haven't had to fly. I had my first flight in over two and a half years, just a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> back to Ireland. So it hasn't been much of an issue from that point of view. And even long right. car rides and so on, they would prefer you just sort of build up their exposure to some of these different things. Now, we do have to admit that there's a reason Quaid uh, really likes driving. Uh, I, I realized in one of the photos you posted in the live chat room was that uh, that he's in a Tesla. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, he is. And in fact, whenever we came back from our big unnecessary round road trip, you know, to get his tooth fixed that didn't need fixed, stopping at one of the supercharger stations he was out and immediately found little bolts and you know there's always they're they're beside gas stations sometimes and he was immediately over and trying to hoover up or vacuum up all of the the little i have to keep a real eye on it from that point of view but yes he uh he he likes to have a model three and uh he uh, he really enjoys uh uh, I, know, I liked your pictures because you showed you said trying to teach him to sleep down in the in the footwell and then yeah. uh, I forget the second picture. He's sitting in your the driver's seat, and then where, you eventually came up with a compromise where he had his his uh, chin up on the uh, cup above the cup holders. There, exactly. He yeah, he's completely against the rules. What he's supposed to do is stay in the footwell, and and I calmly walk around, open the passenger door, and then let him out sedately. That's the plan. So he's quite good at lying in the footwell. But as soon as I get out, he's all oh, it's time to get out, and then he's just up and. Uh, into the driver's seat so we're still working on that <laughs> he's got the first half of the uh, and i have to get him uh, used to exiting the, the car sedately that's that's challenge the next challenge for the car rides from that point of view but uh, well he's got yeah. six more months to figure that out right exactly indeed and uh, there's a few other things that we need to work on he's he's, he's got uh, some uh 
he still has a challenge with uh, you know if given half a chance he'll jump up and and try and get something on the counter with some food and that's a real no-no so we have to try and work on that you know so yeah. different dog I'd like to know how to stop a dog from doing that our our daughter Lindsay Lindsay the daughter in the chat room um she has a black lab mix and anything on the counter is as though you put it directly into his mouth you invited him to eat it the counter yes. is his domain and my dog never does it but she's not food motivated at all. He is. Uh, yeah, it, it still happens sometimes. Unfortunately, at the minute, the only way that we have to stop him is to keep him on a leash indoors whenever he's in the kitchen. So you're really oh, wow. just, you're still restraining him from that because he will do that. The other day, I, I neglected to do that and I was heating up a, a pizza or getting the oven ready for a pizza and I took my eye off it for one second and then out in the yard, I saw him with his new Frisbee that he was very delighted about. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, so, uh, a Dodger ate three quarters of a pound of sashimi-grade salmon off the counter. She had sliced off a couple of little pieces, eaten them, turned around, went back, and it was gone. I mean, I've seen him yeah. eat an entire plate of chocolate chip cookies off the counter. And they're not supposed to eat chocolate, but he seems to no, be fine no. with it. His same dog no. ate a wiffle ball, so, you know, you, you really can't count on Dodger. They, 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 yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and unfortunately, the only way to do it is, is to restrain them until it becomes a, a point where they know that they're not allowed to do that. And some of the dogs pick it up a lot quicker than others because uh, obviously okay. they've all the different natures and so on. But yes, that's probably the, one of the biggest challenges uh, is, is to try and go against because they're just doing their natural. It's just what they, they're supposed to do. But you sure. have to really... And also you have to be mindful of the fact that they're going to go to someone who is visually impaired. So, so they you have don't to know be, where the pizza went. <laughs> they don't know where the pizza went. And also, uh, on a practical terms, they have to they have to to pee and poop on on command. Hmm? Because, you know, yeah, yeah. How do you do that? Because well, you get into a regular cadence and a regular routine of going to the same spot at the same time of the day, and then repeat the same commands. So we say the, wow. the uh, gu guiding eyes say get, get busy. Different organizations use different terms for it. So the because if you're you, the, the, one of the real issues, the, the the big things that's real verboten with a guide dog is is relieving themselves when they're out on the sidewalk or out in in public, oh. because of course the blind dog doesn't see what's happening, so they don't know to pick it. It's just it's just not not appropriate from that point of view. So so okay, they have so to, they they have to know where they're going to do it to be able to go pick it up. Oh wow! And, and, and at certain times of the day. So whether that's you know you get to know your the routine of the dog and uh, if it's early morning or any you know evening and so on. So that that's a real challenge. That's, that's different really from a pet. And also they they they're not allowed to, the male dogs are not allowed to cock their leg against something. They have to just squat. There's, there's some consideration. Oh my gosh! So you got to teach them to do something uninstinctive. Well, if you get them young enough, it, it's they don't know. Uh, that it's not instinctive, I think, from that point of view. But yes, there, there, that's there are a few considerations which which differentiate them from raising even an obedience class for like a normal house pet wouldn't do those right. sort of things, you know. So so there's things sure. of that nature. Yeah. But it is interesting to know that you can teach a dog to pee and poop in the same spot at the same time of the day. Yes. That is that is astonishing. Uh, so is this a lot of work? <laughs> it's it's a lot of it is a commitment there's no doubt about that um it's it's fun it's challenging but and also because you get them in that puppy stage as any dog raiser knows any dog owner knows the puppy stage is that is the most challenging so once they yeah. get up to be older dogs mostly they'll calm down and they'll move move into that sort of more docile adulthood whereas you're consistently uh, we have people on our program that have this is their 16th or 17th dog they just they wow. just raise dog one after another um and there's a, a disney plus program called uh, pick of the litter which you can have a little search for which is a, a program in, in in your neck of the woods on the west coast uh and one of the ladies there it's a similar program and one of the ladies there um uh, was on her 25th puppy so when you think about wow. they're on an eighteenth month cycle, it's it's you know it's, most of her life probably she's she's been on from that point of view. And that interestingly, feel, that would feel like a that's the hardest part. Yeah, it, it, we went out well, of our way to get a nine month old dog so that we didn't have the puppy part. We're like, man, we are too old to deal with a you know a, a puppy waking up in the middle of the night and whining and all that. Yeah, the the hardest part. Well, people always ask the the number one question is that we get asked is how do you, how will you give the dog up 
that's the number one question when we talk yeah. to people and they, they find out. Uh, the honest answer for us is that we haven't had to go through that yet because Quaid is our first dog on this program. Yeah. But talking to some of the other razors, um, they go into it with their eyes open. They are, they're always heartbroken when the dog leaves because it is part of your, your 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 family, you know. And if yeah. you're, they're they're animal lovers, so of course they're 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 going to be. Uh, they're not cold hearted. <laughs> they're not cold hearted at all, and just very generous, just you know, decent people, you know, from that point of view, just just very giving people. Um, but they're also there for looking at the bigger picture and going into it with your eyes wide open. Uh, a friend of ours on the program says it's tough to give the dogs up. But it's tougher being blind or visually impaired, mm. you know. So the changes that you can make to someone's life with with one of these animals is is not to be un, underestimated. It's just it is life changing. It really is life changing. So to be a do little you, bit of a part of that. Do you get to meet the person that Quaid goes to? Yeah, well, it can do. Sometimes geography is difficult because they might go to another mm. state. Uh, though some of the razors, again, we've been sp- speaking to, they keep in touch and they get photographs sent through. Uh, there's oh. like a newsletter. The pro, you know, we we see pictures of them. You know, later on, and some of them do come back and make trips. Uh, uh, one of the the ladies uh, heard the they call them guide dog teams. Whenever there's a dog goes out to a blind person, they become a team. Uh, and I think Guiding Eyes has said something like, uh, it, since it was founded in 1954, I believe it's had something like. Um, 8,000 guide dog teams have graduated in that time. So it's, it's a big program. And uh, they uh, had a, a one of their first dogs. The lady was in North Carolina and they're in D.C. But she made the trip herself up on the train to bring the dog to, 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 to see his, his own oh. razors, you know. So, so some, yeah, definitely. It's, 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 uh, though, of course, they're focused on their new job. They typically will be with us 18 months. They have another four months of formal training up in the uh, in the headquarters. And then they go out for a working life up until about nine or 10 and then they retire. So that's the sort of working working life of the, of the, of the guide dog. Okay. Okay. Wow, that's so fascinating. Uh, one, one more question back on uh, the basic stuff that you do. Do you, I'm not sure if you live close enough into the city where you're walking, crossing streets a lot. But is is part of it making sure that they stop, like every time you go to an intersection, you stop and make them sit and wait, and then you go across the street? Yeah. Well, basic um, sort of normal road etiquette, obviously, we'd be doing that anyway. The, mm-hmm. the formal, uh, because the dogs themselves will stop, uh, the professional trainers will take them to the next level, wherever the blind person is walking out into an area of danger, the dog will... The whole point is that they break the they, they they go against the rules if they know that it's too dangerous. So we don't right. we don't do that level, but certainly we'll we'll stop. We're fortunate where we live in DC is very close to Rock Creek Park, you know, the big park in the middle of, of the district. So we have uh, we're in the city, but we're also very close to uh, hiking trails and we have deer so, coming in and everything. So you do stop at the, oh, at yeah, the intersection course. at every stop. The, the reason I ask about that is because uh, with Tessa from the day she we got her. For a good two years, every single intersection, I'm, I'm, I don't go 200 feet without hitting another stoplight, a stop sign. So I'd come to a stop, I'd make her sit, and then we'd go. And I'd come to a stop, make her sit, and then we'd go. Come to a stop. After two years, that dog would not stop if I didn't stop her. And I finally went, all right, it's taken me like twice as long to go onto a walk and you're not learning this. So she's just like, no, 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 I'm going to run out into the street because I'm a moron. But You're a moron. Well... Yes, it is important. And also it's important that they don't strain on the leash, that they walk loose leash. And there's all, you know, uh, yeah. all issues like that. So if they do do that, you're supposed you, you stop because you're they have to check in with you and you're in control. You're not following their lead. They're they're following your lead. Um, but it is challenging, especially with the younger dogs, you know, and, and, and they, they're very right, headstrong right. animals. And, and also now he's, he's, he's still a young dog, but he's a big dog. He's 70 pounds. So my wife Ooh, is, 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 my wife's quite short. So she, he's a little bit too. So if they become too boisterous like that, then it's, it's dangerous, you know, to, to they have to sure, be very, very, sure. very, very well, well behaved. I did, I was uh, lucky enough to have somebody when, uh, Tessa was pretty young, tell me a little trick is a dog that's straining against you. If you're pulling back. The dog is stronger than you, right? I mean, they're going to win that. But if you lift them straight up, they've got nothing to pull on. If you just if you just lift up on the leash and it, and it pulls their front feet off the ground, they can't win because they haven't got anything to grab hold of. So you can actually stop a dog from doing that just by pulling them straight up. I mean, obviously, if it's you don't want to choke them or anything, but you can no. stop them pretty quickly. 
the technique that we're taught is to sort of twitch on the leash, you know, just like tap on the leash to do a oh. head turn. And okay. that's very difficult at the start. But once they get it, it's great in a lot of reasons, a lot of uh, situations where you can distract them, especially if they come up against other dogs or little kids and stuff okay. like that. You can just sort you of get them to look the at you to check in. You get them to look, ah. yeah, yeah, indeed. And you have to follow up with a treat. It's always, you know, you have to know when, because they're only doing it because they think, oh, I now get rewarded. And then you gradually okay. wean them off that. It's like it's the, the basics of any animal training is that you start off. Where they they have what they call the puppy party. Whenever they do something right, when they're really small, you just shower them with kibble, and then oh. they get, <laughs> and they say, "Oh, I've done something really, really good here. I must remember this one." And then over time, uh, you're 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 weaning off so that they're doing it just for what they call uh, use of yourself, use of you. So they're excited okay. that you're pleased rather than getting more just in the getting way the of treat. actual treats. Yeah, indeed. So Tessa's probably not a moron. It's just I'm not a good trainer that I never gave well, her any food for it, doing it. It's also very difficult. There is a high dropout rate. Not every dog makes it. I think the dropout rate is less. Oh, really? is, I think only like 30% will make the program. Oh, now, there wow. Are other, oh, yeah. It's quite, quite uh, different uh, programs have different sort of success rates, if you like. But it's by no means a given that, that the, it's, it's probably less than the, the, the majority. But there will also, there's other opportunities where they'll go on to do other sort of service-based uh, roles for dogs uh, or, or maybe security mm. and stuff like that, other things. Um, okay, they, so they don't, you don't they, just if, keep the dog or anything if they fail? Uh, no, though there is a, it's called being released. Um, mm. uh, if, if a dog is released, because some dogs will all get all the way through to the last to the successfully graduating go out to your host go out to a blind person and just after a week just say it's not for me it does happen and then they'll <laughs> they'll come back in uh you mm. usually you'll see that before that they just they're just just not for them uh and you mean for are, the for the blind person not right no for, for the, the for, 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 well possibly but most or did you mean the, the dog, dog a, just it's just like i'm not doing it not doing it yeah really uh, it after, does happen even after this the upper level training yes it's, that's very rare it gets to that stage they normally okay. find it earlier than that and also for sometimes for medicinal reasons they're re released as well if mm. they have uh, you know issues with the joints or something or you know just just normal sort of uh, uh, issues with any animal they have to be these are purebred uh, puppies and all of the veterinary uh, needs are, are taken care of by the the charity 100% uh, uh, contributions by, by the public it's, it's all charitable contributions um, wow. And, wow. and everything is covered. And I believe the cost of uh, over the lifespan of a working dog, of a service dog, is about 50,000 US dollars. So wow. it's, it's a, because of all of the support mechanism and the, and the training and, and, the, and the veterinary bills and, and so on. So there's a, there's a big investment in, in, in this as, as well. And at any given moment, there's like over a thousand dogs in the program on, on our. So it's, it's, it's a big undertaking. And that's just one program and nationally and, of course, internationally, all countries have different different uh, programs as well. So it's, 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 it's yeah, a it was, huge uh, well, undertaking. Yeah, I was going to say, you said 8,000 dogs is a lot, but I, I did the math on uh, or I made uh, Spotlight do the math for me because I can't subtract. Uh, if you take 2022 uh, from 1954 when the program started and 8,000 dogs, that's only 118 dogs per year. That, they would have started off... They would have started Small. off quite slow in the first years. So, so sure, it have, sure, yeah. but but it's really it's not it's not millions. It's not you know it's certainly no, not a dog no, for no, every no, blind no, person no, who wants one. No, not at all. And and part of the reason is that the uh, it's it's very challenging. It it's 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 these are the the, the the dogs that make it are the creme de la creme. They really are. They're already yeah. you know well bred. And they're they're very very healthy puppies typically, and they're 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 they're, they're set up to, to to succeed. But going through the process, it is very very challenging, and you can't have any doubt on a dog going out because, especially on in, mm. in, in road work and so on, you're put the the guy the, the blind person is is putting their life in the dog's hands typically. Right, right. But, yeah. yeah, there's no do overs on that one. There's no do overs. You don't think. He's, he's probably close enough. Okay. He stopped at thirty <laughs> percent. Indeed, and one of the things that I didn't realize is, of course, one of the big challenges for anyone, a blind person, because walking with a stick, they can sort of horizontally, they can see what's happening in front of them, but they they can't see like a branch or something. You know, they they have no gauge of what's happening vertically in front of them, and the dog will will direct them around those sort of obstacles and things of that nature. So, so it's not true that dogs don't uh, don't look up then. Apparently not. <laughs> oh, this guy looks. Well, this guy looks up at, at the at the counter in the kitchen. So I know that this dog definitely looks up from from that point of view. 
Now, did you name him Quaid? Uh, I, we didn't. And in fact, with my accent, Quaid is a real challenge for people because they ask, oh, what's the dog's name? And I say Quaid and they go, uh, Quid? What? And I, go, <laughs> I, I always have to say uh, Quaid as in, uh, depends on who I'm speaking to. Most people I say Quaid, like Dennis Quaid, the actor. Right. Go, oh, right. Quaid. And sometimes <laughs> if, they, if there's a certain type of geeky looking guy, I'll say, uh, like Arnie in Total Recall, he was Quaid as well, if you recall. Oh, that's so, exactly uh, the that's the name Steve came up with right away. I I thought of Randy Quaid and and uh, uh, not Dennis Quaid. I thought of Randy Quaid, who's an interesting yeah. guy. But he thought about uh, Total Recall right away. That's funny. We have we we have this exact conversation. I've had more than one person say uh, Dennis, not Randy. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and a few people, a and, <laughs> I get a little odd, uh, uh, and and a few people will say, "Oh, like Total Recall." So it's really funny from that point of view. But what happens is the the um, the program, all of the siblings uh, in a litter will have the same initial first letter. So Quaid's sister is uh, Quest, and his brother is Quartz. So, the, the, so, so, they, so you can sort of tell whenever they meet, you know, if it's got the same initial. And he had quite a small. It's only three in a letter. Usually, there's more than that. So, some of the. But we've got some interesting names in our class. There's a, um, there's a Lancelot and a, a, a Loki. I had to explain Loki to my wife because she has no oh. pop culture. She, she has no idea about pop culture, so she said, "What sort of a name is Loki?" And I, <laughs> I had to explain. Had to explain. Uh, there was a Galahad, which is hilarious as well. And then we've got some really normal names, like there's a Gary, and uh, you know other things <laughs> like that. <laughs> because I suppose they run out of names. Also, what they'll sometimes do is they'll run competitions with school kids to to name. Pups, so they do oh, competitions and things like that, and, and that they raises also have awareness and everything. Exactly, and in fact, they have people who will sponsor a, a litter, sponsor, and then they get the the honor of naming the pups. So we oh. had uh, we we have celebrities as well. Eli Manning, the footballer, the quarterback for uh -huh. New York Giants, he's actually on the board of directors of the Getty Nice because he's a big supporter, and he he uh, uh, supported uh, one of the litters and got to name the pups him and his family. So that's basically the the, the way it works from that point of view. Now, I'm assuming that you're going to give us information on if people want to get involved in the program or they want to uh, donate money to, to help support the program uh, before uh, the show goes live. You'll give me that information, too. Yes, everything goes through their website, which is guidingeyes.org. So that's that's a good point of of, of, of And then they also have Facebook groups and all. And we'll, we'll, I'll give you all that information, links and all you can put into the, into the show notes and so on. But uh, everything through on guidingeyes.org. Is, is the best first step to, to find it. And if you're interested, it's, it's, uh, it is challenging. It's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding as well. So if people do have the feel that they might be able to give some, some time or through support, just through donations or through maybe some of these ancillary support roles as well. Uh, it doesn't right, have to maybe be Maybe like, driving. You, you or... can just, yeah. Uh, or, or just become a sitter and support just to, for a few weeks in the year to cover vacation times and, and things like that. That's always uh welcome and it's always something that the charity is looking out for at any time and that's that's fun as well and it doesn't matter if you've got your own dogs or you've got little kids they obviously will take into consideration the home environment but uh, it, it, it's there's certainly people that will have uh, and in fact if you have your own dog i suppose it sort of means that when the dog leaves uh, you know it's it's not quite as devastating as you know an empty house you know uh, though Right. The idea is that you'll get another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like you could get sucked into this pretty easily. Uh, I have one other question on the other side. You may not know the answer to this, but how hard is it for a blind person who wants to get a uh, guiding dog, a guide dog? Do you know how hard it is for them to get it? Does one out of twenty who wants one get one, or most people I, want I, to get them? I, I don't know the figures, and it depends on the regions as well. I think a little bit. Okay. So yet again, on the on the program on the on the website, there's sections. Uh, you know, for uh, people who are applying for uh, uh, who do need guide dog, and people get referred through to to the, to the charity just through uh, uh, friends of friends and a normal re referral process. And all. I'm not actually sure what the what the, uh, okay. the success rate is. I know there is a waiting list. There's, there are always more people than there are pups especially with that relatively high uh you know uh, low so success already, rate. Yeah, yeah 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 that's what I, that's what exactly what made me think about it and and uh that many that unfortunately well fortunately if if we live long enough we're going to be disabled uh my as i've mentioned before my my blind friends always tell me refer to yourself as currently abled because if yeah. you, you, you if you're lucky 
you're going to live a long time and then you're going to become disabled in some way. It might be blind. It might be something else, but you might need a service dog yourself. So, uh, Oh, very much so. And of course, these dogs, as we sort of touched on earlier on, there are people with epilepsy that can, they can, uh, you know, predict people having fits and, and people, mm. it's unbelievable. There's a, uh, one of my favorite podcasts is Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. And he has a, mm. an episode called uh, The Dog Will See You Now. Uh, if you look on his website or just wherever your podcasts are to be found, as they always say. And that's fascinating because there they were talking about dogs uh, detecting COVID with a higher success rate than some of these PCR rates because they don't, they're, they can, sm because the sense of smell is unbelievable, as, as we all know. But right. it's not that they're smelling the diseases, they're smelling the way that the cells around the infected tissue changes. And the success rate is is phenomenal but there aren't enough of the dogs that have been trained specifically to look out for for that so that's a fun fascinating wow. uh um so if people have a chance to listen in on that one it really makes your because people say oh you guide dog we see them in the harness and they're steering people through traffic and okay but it's actually an awful lot more the capabilities of of, of dogs in terms of service uh capabilities is only really just being investigated and, and explored uh, you know, oh, that's really cool. Well, I want to finish up on something silly. I have to know, what is Batfink 2001? <laughs> that's your your call sign in the uh, live chat that, room. That's, that's, that's my sort of alter ego on the internet everywhere. Uh, it, it basically, well, Batfink is when I was a kid, is one of my favorite cartoons. I don't know if you remember the old Batfink cartoon. It's It was a spoof of, uh, the, of the Green Hornet and Batman. Uh, it was like a, oh. a, a, a yeah, yeah, you've already known him, you see. Um, like a Hanna, it wasn't Hanna Barbera, but it was from one, a similar sort of studio. So, so that's the bad thing. 2001 is from, um, one of my favorite sci-fi movies, 2001, A Space Odyssey. So basically oh, you just put Steve's the two together. <laughs> but what was funny, I was on Reddit uh, one time and, and somebody said, Oh, 2001. I was born in 2001 as well. And I said, No, no. <laughs> I have to, have to, have to just tell you straight away, I'm considerably older than being born in 2001. So that was amusing when I <laughs> He thought that was the reason that I picked 2001. So it's a it's a strange sort of thing. And if you, your listeners probably also listening to like DTNS and Twitter and all these other things, and and if you see Batfink 2001, that's that's me. That's on, you. On, huh? on, You're on, everywhere. I'm a little bit. Or in you have a sort of family of podcast friends, don't you? And I think uh, yeah, there's, a, there's there is a crossover with the uh, with uh, you know the. Uh, the frog pants guys and, and all of these sort of yeah, things. Yeah, it's a big family. You know, it, it's yeah. funny that whenever I see somebody in one of those chat rooms that that I know from my chat room, I feel like I'm being cheated on. <laughs> <laughs> so now when I see that thing 2001, I'm going, oh man, he, he likes he likes well, Tom Merritt. Oh uh, man. Well, 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 this is coming from someone who has Tom Merritt on her show and she is on his show. So it works for the podcasters as well, doesn't it? I suppose. Absolutely. No, I'm just, yeah. I'm just teasing. But uh, do you want to give yeah. a, a shout out to your Nocilla Castaways friends in the uh, live chat room there? Yes. Well, basically, of course, everybody that uh, that we see on on the Sunday night, it's a, it's a nice little group there. And it's it's just very funny from from the point of view of getting to know people that you become it's this is this being part of one of the best things about podcasts is i think that the, the nature of that sort of uh, social group you must see that all the time you know from that yeah. point of view. so you become very very friendly with people and and yet you're you've got this thing in common which up until now it still is in many respects a niche thing a sort of you know uh, you know, it's not quite out in the podcasts themselves, of course, have hit the mass market like unbelievable. I go, my first podcast listening experience was going back to like Adam Curry's Daily Source Code. That's back Me too. a long time. Yeah, yeah. That's so that there was you the go. first, yeah. Yeah, I think he was one of the first. And then Leo Laporte, you know, with the, mm -hmm. with Twits and everything coming through. Right. So when you're talking about 2006, 2005, something uh, along well, those 2004 lines. 2004 was the first podcast. Uh, came out in 2000, May, or October 2004, and I started in May of 2005. Yeah, I, because the big Leo thing was having... <laughs> that I, I, started, uh, I started the NoCilla cast before he started uh, MacBreak Weekly. <laughs> the big <laughs> thing was that you... Up. 
he likes to point that out. The, the big thing was that technically they had the audio enclosure within RSS from a sort of right. geeky. That was the big thing, wasn't it? And then they had the pod feed, uh, the, 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 the lemon reader and all these sort of really yep. early yep. sort of podcasters. And then whenever, of course, Apple introduced it in iTunes, blah, 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 whichever version, then that was, was the big thing. Right. So then, uh, we were, we were talking about, uh, what it's like being in the chat room and you, you diverted there, but, uh, I, I think, what you're saying is exactly what I feel is that it is this little family of friends that we get together. And I've, I've told this story before, but we went on travel and I didn't have my, my uh, chat room one night and the entire chat room got up and left and went over and went to uh, Mac OS Ken's chat room. Because what they did was get together on Sunday nights at 5 o'clock Pacific time. It wasn't at all important that I was there. That was just irrelevant to the whole thing. You're just like the, the, you're like the, you're like, you're like the conduit. Yeah, exactly. You're the glue that sort of holds it together. And uh, and that's on your week, weekly one's I'm definitely... I'm post note glue. <laughs> Yeah, but certainly, you know, I listen to DTNS, uh, Tom Merritt's podcast as a daily one, and that's exactly the same thing. You see him, you get into that routine and the same faces or the same handles come up. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very much a big part of people's lives, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's because it's like-minded individuals, isn't it? I think that's a big part of it as well, isn't it? You know, it's people who do hang with people a certain... who talk to of the same things. Cause a lot of times in real life, we can't talk about the stuff that we're so passionate about. <laughs> people don't get that excited about learning how to, you know, do a series shortcut or something. <laughs> well, exactly, and 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 everybody in those chat rooms would probably know who Loki was. Exactly, exactly. You don't even have to explain your jokes. Yeah. Well, well one should... of the one one of the things I just I'm hoping that post pandemic, if we get back to the new normal, whatever that will be, is to have, to have meetups again and so on, because that's uh, it's nice that we're possible that some of the people do meet in real life and stuff like that, and that's that's always fun as we've well. done a few sort of meetups and met some people, and that yeah. Just hasn't well, been I possible. wish I'd known. I wish I'd known where you lived. We just this uh, a few months ago went to Virginia and uh, and and uh, Maryland and DC to meet up. We met up with uh, with Kevin uh, from the chat room and yeah. uh, and the SMR guys. So uh, we could we could have met you in real life if we'd only known. Well, well, next time, of course, the next SMR time. guys are pretty local. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yes, we have this uh, this this connection, and uh, it's it's nice. Technology is fantastic, and what we can do, but but you know. Getting back to meet people in real life is, is what it's all about as well, you know, so right, hopefully right. that's... Well, that's I'm going to cut us off here. Uh, if people wanted to follow you online, where would the best place to be? Yeah, Batfink2001 on Twitter is probably the main one. Uh, so Or the yes, live chat room, 5 p.m. Pacific time at podfeet.com slash live, right? Whether you're there or not, we'll be there. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much for joining us, Seamus, and telling us all about Quaid and, and why he's here. This is this is fantastic. Uh, it's really good work you're doing. Thank you very much. It's it's fun. And uh, like I say, the, 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 your listeners can, can go to guidingage.org and, and see if it's something that they might want to help out with, because it's very rewarding. Very good. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the PodFeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSilla Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla Castaways. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.